From RTE News, this is States of Mind. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. I do not believe we're the dark, angry nation that Donald Trump sees in his tweets in the middle of the night. Your U.S. Election 2020 podcast with Brian O'Donovan in Washington and Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today, he's been a faithful man and... uh, There would be some say that he has not been so faithful in terms of that part of his life. Now, we would say which way. What is it like being a black Donald Trump supporter in North Carolina at the moment? I akin it to probably being a homosexual black man in the 70s in a southern state. So, Jackie, I got to go out and about over the last few days and hit the campaign trail or as much of a campaign as we have right now in these COVID lockdown times. That's a little sense of normality for you, Brian. Yeah, it was good to get out, speak to some voters. We went to the state of Pennsylvania, a very important state, a swing state, a key battleground state. There was two competing events on in the state at the same time, a Mike Pence event, obviously for the Trump campaign, and a Joe Biden event for his own campaign. And those events, I'm afraid, are few and far between, but it was still good to chat to some of the voters on both sides to get their perspectives. And what were they saying? What was the vibe there like? Well, the Mike Pence event was interesting. It was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, rural part of Pennsylvania, Amish country. When you're out on the roads there, you will see people from the Amish community riding around in their horses and traps and their traditional gear. And it was a very interesting state, a very interesting area. We went to the local airport, a small little airport where Air Force Two was arriving. There was a group of Trump Pence supporters outside the fence, peering through the fence, trying to see the vice president arrive. One man I spoke to, George, very interesting guy. He came, Jackie, holding this very interesting leather folder. And I was intrigued to find out what was inside. And I went up to him and I asked him, I said, why are you here? And what have you got? And he said, well, I have a photograph of Mike Pence that I want to get autographed. And he produced this very big, glossy 8 by 10 photograph inside in his leather-bound folder. He said, I'm here to get an autograph. But he said, I'm a bit disappointed with social distancing and COVID-19. It doesn't look like I'm getting anywhere near the vice president. So I said, I assume you're a Donald Trump fan then. And he said, Uh, I did in 2016. I won't vote for him again. I'm sorry. And it was interesting to hear his reasons. And he spoke about how he didn't like that Donald Trump was close to Russia. Him working with Putin and also... And specifically, the big story, the big scandal that we've had here in recent weeks, he was very unhappy with about this bounties being paid by Russia to Afghan militants to kill U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. Killing our servicemen by bounty, and and they cover the whole thing up. And that was something that he said he just couldn't stomach anymore. That was the final straw, and he wouldn't be voting for Donald Trump. I probably do regret, and I, uh, I blindly put him in office. But he was obviously happy with Mike Pence if he was there with his photo. Not particularly. That's what I said to him. I said, you must support them in some way. He said, no, he just likes the idea of meeting these candidates, getting up close and personal to them and getting their autographs just because they're big names, I guess. But that brings me on to another topic here. The days of getting close to these candidates, both for the fans and the supporters that come out and for us in the media, very, very difficult now. Everything's socially distanced. 
everything's harder to get access to. But it didn't stop people from coming out. Lots of other supporters out there. George, that man I mentioned, he was the only negative one I mentioned. I met. Everybody else was perfectly happy. And were they okay with you being the media and everything, Brian? Yeah. No, we met absolutely no hostility. And the big uh, theme, I suppose, from them, Jackie, came down to the like the opinion polls. Because you know here, the opinion polls right now have Donald Trump way behind Joe Biden in key swing states and nationally. But this is something that was very dismissed by those supporters we met with. He's very behind in the opinion polls now. Is that something that concerns you or do you think the polls might be wrong? Who's promoting the polls? The media? The media doesn't want him in there? Are they going to ever do anything positive for him? Absolutely not. Do you think he'll get in again? He's behind in the polls. He's behind in the polls, but he was behind in the polls the last time. I think I think he'll for sure get in again. Oh, yeah. I hope so. His policies are what we ought to be voting for or against any any politician unless they're just outright reprobates. And he's not. He's married. He's a he's been a faithful man to his in his marriages. And uh, there would be some say that he has not been so faithful in terms of that part uh, of his life. Now, we would say which wife, you know, and not Melania wouldn't think that. Or she wouldn't have married him, I don't believe. And they did make a good point. And they said, back in 2016, the polls said Hillary Clinton was going to win. And that's not what happened. And we mm-hmm. believe this is going to be the case in this case. But everybody would tell you, but look, the polls are different this time. The lead that Joe Biden has is much, much greater than the lead that Hillary Clinton had. And Joe Biden ahead in several key swing states, including Pennsylvania. But look, I am not going to be the one to say the polls are going to be right this time. The polls were wrong the last time. We're just going to have to wait and see. It's still four months out of the election. And of course, a lot could change. Yeah, because Pennsylvania is an interesting state. It's just west of New York, if you can imagine it, on a map. It backed the Democratic presidential candidate in every election since 1992 up until 2016. But in 2016, as we know now, Donald Trump won the state by just over 44,000 votes out of more than 6 million cast. That's a difference of just 0.72% and the narrowest margin in a presidential election in the state for 176 years. If this, uh, we've just seen that Pennsylvania has been called by AP, I think for me, this is one of the most stunning results of the night. We had seen her up comfortably five to six points. It was largely down to sweeping defections by white residents who once voted Democratic, largely in western and northeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, and that Pennsylvania, tiny, tiny margin, Donald Trump repeated that on three occasions. It was Pennsylvania, and then it was Michigan, and then it was Wisconsin. And these were states that he won by these tiny margins, beating the Democrats, beating Hillary Clinton, but those three was enough to swing it. And I think in total it was about 80,000 votes in those three states, and that was enough for him to get over the line. So obviously he needs to repeat that again, and he needs to hold on to these big swing states. And Pennsylvania, a very interesting case study, as I said at the top, the day we went, it was competing events. There was a Mike Pence event in one part in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then a Joe Biden event at a steel plant in Dunmore, which is just outside Scranton, the city that Joe Biden is originally from. And why would a steel plant be so important to visit? That is key to the Pennsylvania vote. You want to, if you're the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden, you want to win back those blue-collar workers and the so-called Rust Belt, the 
hardworking Americans out there, the union members in the manufacturing industry, the steel industry, that Democrats for decades could rely on. The Democrat was seen as the party of the union member, the party of the blue-collar worker, the party of the Rust Belt. That was all lost. There was a time when Johnstown, Pennsylvania, led the nation in steel production. Welder John Silk works at one of the last remaining factories. You were a lifelong Democrat. Yes. And you're wearing a Trump shirt. How'd that happen? If he does half of what he says he's going to do, it's a boost in the right direction. You've lost faith with the Democratic Party? Yes. Joe Biden's challenge is to win those voters back, so it was no great surprise that he chose a steel plant to make this big announcement about his economic plan if he were to become president. But I come back again to an earlier point, Jackie, which I found very interesting. This was not a publicly announced event. It was not even press released to the wider media. It was a very small media pool that were brought in. It certainly wasn't announced in any great way to the public to come along. It was not a public event. So this steel plant was down a small, narrow, almost country road, you could say. It was outside a town. And a small group of Biden supporters had gathered outside one man I spoke to, John Brzezinski, very interesting guy. He lives across the road from this steel plant. And he said he loves Joe Biden. And he's a big Democrat and a big Joe Biden supporter. And he said, I didn't even know he was coming here today until you I saw know. all the cars pull up. No. And that's the weird world we're in right now. The Biden campaign in particular, as we've discussed in the past, very, very low key. No big events, no big rallies, no big gatherings, no big press conferences. It's mainly because of COVID-19. Joe Biden, as we know, has been quarantining inside in the basement in his home in Delaware for the last few months. He pops up every now and again, and when he does pop up, they keep the events extremely low-key. They don't want big crowds there. They don't want people gathering. So there was a small group of supporters, including this man, John, who literally lived across the road and only, you know, he was delighted to see Joe Biden there and to see him walk inside. But very much those people we spoke to Staunch Biden supporters, they had come out, they spoke about how he is for the blue-collar worker, he's for the little guy, he's from that area, and they will definitely be backing him. But in the middle of the mix, we had a Trump supporter. In the middle of all these Joe Biden posters, there was one guy, Evan, holding up his Trump poster, hmm. very, very proud to be supporting the other side. Well, you know, obviously we have to support President Trump. Um, this election here in America is freedom versus tyranny. Donald Trump fills arenas across this country. When the when Joe Biden fills arenas and Donald Trump can't, then I'll believe the polls. Would you not say that Joe Biden's being responsible because he's telling people don't gather in big crowds because of the pandemic, but Donald Trump has no problem gathering big crowds? Well, you know, this is the way I look at it. You can't stop living. We're living in a pandemic. I understand that. You can't stop living. And this is really part of a wider picture you touched on earlier, Brian, about the importance of swing states in this election. Pennsylvania is one of them. Another battleground area is North Carolina, which is an absolute must win for Donald Trump. North Carolina has voted Republican in the nine out of the last 10 presidential elections. But some of those races were super tight. So the one in that 10 is Barack Obama in 2008. And if the Democrats win North Carolina, some political analysts say that's game over. It will mean there will be a Democratic president in 2020. Latest polling data shows that it is neck and neck in that state between Trump and Biden. Biden at around 48.3%, Trump slightly behind him on about 44, 45%. A key state that will be up for grabs in the election. Another one of those big, big battleground swing states.
So in 2016, Donald Trump won just over 50% of the vote in North Carolina. One of them who voted for him is our next guest, Emmanuel Jarvis. Emmanuel Jarvis, thank you so much for joining us on States of Mind. Emmanuel, I'm just going to go straight into it. What is it like being a black Donald Trump supporter in North Carolina at the moment? I akin it to probably being a homosexual black man in the 70s in a southern state. Um, To some degree, you have to be careful of who knows who you are, what you do, what you believe. Um, You are happy to find others that share your your same ideological um, viewpoints. And when you're able to find others who do, um, you meet together, you socialize together, they become your friends because they understand why you have the convictions that you do politically. Uh, Many black Republicans share the same story. They grew up in predominantly Democratic households. They listened to the three or four channels that they had growing up. They listened to their preachers preach, um, you know, indirectly about political ideology. Um, They went to public schools where they were taught uh, a liberal ideology. And so it wasn't until they were in their young 20s that they came to realize that what they had been taught was incomplete. What they had been taught was biased. Before we get into how things or when things started to change for you, can you tell us, you you touched on it there, what kind of response um, have you had to when you tell somebody that you support Donald Trump? Is it more of an in-person thing or online where you get more of a negative response? Well, I don't go around advertising that I support the president. I think that only in the last really three and a half years, it's been in vogue um, to publicly uh, discredit the man who sits in the highest office. Um, You know, I remember growing up and, you know, you have uh, George H.W. Bush, we have you know, Bill Clinton, and there's maybe pe- people who are on one side of the fence or the other, uh, but they didn't proclaim their objection to the man. They didn't uh, proclaim and make jokes about publicly and make sure they're inserting uh, defamations about the president in just their ordinary conversation. They didn't feel like they had the license to do that. But for whatever reason, um, it has been, it's, it's like in fashion to bash our president. So I don't, I, I've never been a person who goes out and, you know, goes out overtly, talks about a president. And generally the reason why I don't do that is I really focus on principles versus personalities. Personalities come and go, but principles remain But Donald Trump is such a big personality, Emmanuel, and he's so vocal and can be so controversial. I point to that recent tweet of one of his supporters chanting white power that he retweeted. Now, he did delete it, but he did tweet it in the first instance. He has referred to people wanting to tear down the Confederate statues as angry mobs. Does that make you question your support of him when you hear him make those comments or or send those tweets? Well, I I would have to push back and say there's a lot of incendiary comments that passed previous presidents have made without the criticism. Um, If 
when and there has been instances where there have been organizations tied to the Democratic Party that have said very insinuating comments. Either the media mutes it themselves to make sure they're censoring so that the American people themselves don't hear it, or when it is heard, they, they wipe it away and say, ah, it's not the big deal. That doesn't represent the president of the United States. It doesn't represent the Democrat Party. Those are just fringe people. So it's interesting how the media is so um, selective in terms of where they want to ascribe individuals to a political party or a person versus not. Um, if a person is taking down a tweet, what they're saying, first of all, it's like, that is not something that I want to portray. Now, I know that when I look, and I don't do this a lot because I don't really pay attention too much uh, to the president's tweeting because I think that's, pro in my opinion, I understand why he's doing it. I understand that he doesn't have a, a microphone that is not tweaked and massaged and moved and cut and pasted in terms of the words that he says. And so Twitter is the purest way for him to connect with the people of the United States of America and the world. However, the scripture says that with a multitude of guidance, a man is able to put forth in their sound counsel. And, you know, when you're on your own sitting in the Oval Office or on a plane or what have you, and it's just you and your thumbs and you're just typing away because you're either frustrated about something or you want to lash out at something or you want to communicate with the American people about something, um, but there's no one that's able to scream what you're saying, there's times that things are going to come off that are probably not the best. Something else that Donald Trump tweeted in recent weeks was that no president had done more from the African-American community since Abraham Lincoln. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, yeah I'm, that's pretty close, man. Um, now, the thing about it is you, you might have your mouth open right now at gate saying, oh, my gosh, how could he say that? But my daughter is a recipient of a historical black college university is a grant coming from a farm bill that he signed. And he's given so much money to HBCUs, which really is the tool and the linchpin for African-Americans to go from poverty to prosperity. We all continue to say education is a key, education is a key, education is a key. Well, he's made copies of keys. He's gone to locksmith and made copies of keys and handed it to HBCUs and handed it to African-Americans and say, if education is the key, for you to be able to get out from where you are to where you want to be, then I'm going to give you as much money and as much support as I can so you can do that. That is one aspect just alone in terms of what this president has done, which unfortunately our black president uh, three and a half years ago did not do. The second thing that he's doing, not as direct but indirect, is by this border wall on the Mexican, Texas, and, and our, our western or southern border. When when illegal immigrants come to the country, they tend to go to the inner city because those are where the resources are. That's where the activity for economic growth are coming from. The problem is, is that's where African-Americans also tend to live and to reside. African-Americans came, came here in chains. They've had through blood, literally, sweat, literally, tears, literally, for the last 400 years, get to the place where we could actually take in some of these social services to be able to help our people. And so when we're competing against the offspring of Ill illegal immigrants here in the inner city, it's taking away from those resources that we desperately need, that we definitely work for, and it's owed to us. 
And that's one of those things that most people don't recognize, or if they do recognize, they refuse to acknowledge how that border wall, if any ethnicity is being helped, African-Americans are being helped the most from that. Emmanuel, can you talk about, you know, your democratic upbringing and what made you drift away from that party? How did you find the Republican Party and was that a difficult journey to find it? I was living in Virginia Beach and I was in sales and I was in the car a lot driving around to different people. And there was a hurricane coming. I think I was maybe 20, 21 years old. There was a hurricane approaching from the Atlantic Ocean and I wanted to find out its track. And I knew that if you go to AM stations, they have more news. So they're talking about the news all the time versus FM tends to be more music and things like that. So I switched over to the FM and I'm scrolling through trying to kind of find something. I find a pretty clear channel. So I start listening to it. And and it was conservative talk radio. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the dumbest. Who listens to this trash? And I said to myself, OK, I'm just going to stomach through this because I know on the top of the hour and 15 minutes and then also at the bottom of the hour, they're always doing news. And I'll just deal with it. And I'll just so I can find out where this hurricane is coming from and all that. So I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm rolling my eyes like, oh my God, this is just who in the world. And then all of a sudden they would make a point and I would kind of stop and I would say, huh, well, I mean, that's true, but there's still, there's still ridiculous racist white people that don't care about anybody. And I'd go on and then make another point and, or talk about a news article or talk about different news articles and what's happening. And I'd listen like, I didn't know that. Huh, interesting. And over the course of even just those two or three days as the storm is approaching, instead of being completely um, having a hatred, I got more interested and it was more compelling. Like, I need to know what these guys are really talking about, what they feel and why. And then from that, I really started looking at some of my black history and I started reading and looking at articles about Frederick Douglass and about men like Booker T. Washington. And the more I read into it, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, our black history comes from Republican roots. And so saying after a while, I think it was probably, I was about 22, 23, you know what? I'm not a Democrat, I'm a Republican, and this is why. My history, not just my history of 120 years ago, but actually the tenets that are still today and how I see them being proved out. And I see people who live with conservative ideologies. To me, they tend to be happier. They tend to be more prosperous, even if they're not rich. They may start off poor, but if you have those, those type of tenets and those philosophies and you live that way, even if you don't end up being wealthy, your children will be, end up so much better than you ever did. And I saw that, and I cleaved to it. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't care what everybody else says. This is me. And I really do believe this is the right way that I'm supposed to be living. Some would say that you are not in the majority when it comes to, can I say, quote unquote, the black vote, which many people would say Joe Biden has sewn up and he's going to be very popular among the African-American community. How do you feel when you hear those words and see those headlines all the time that Joe Biden has the black vote sewn up? He's got all the support from the black community. Is it wrong to club everybody in the same group in that way? And do you think that will be borne out on election day? Well, it's not to club everyone in the same group unless they club themselves into the same group. 
you you are just basically depicting what the facts are. You're not creating something. You're not stereotyping anyone. Sadly, I think if they had a cardboard box that was running for president, um, probably 80 to 85 percent of African-Americans would vote for the cardboard box. Sadly, we um, I, I just put it this way. Um, if you remember going to a playground when you were younger and there's a seesaw on the playground, but you were the only one on the playground, that's one thing that you can't do. You can swing by yourself. You can go down the slide by yourself. You can be on the monkey bars by yourself, but you can't play on the seesaw because the seesaw needs equal balance on both sides of the pendulum. And you may try to do it, but it wouldn't work. And politics is the same way. And sadly, African-Americans have put all their weight on one side of the seesaw. And we wonder why politics doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for us because we're not balanced. My responsibility as the chairman of the Durham County Republican Party is to espouse conservative ideology in how we live and how we act, to make conservative principles and ideology so attractive in how we live that people want to leave what they're doing and come to what we're doing. It's to be able to talk about common sense principles that work in cities that actually lift people up out of poverty, not make them comfortable while they're in poverty. What I see in the black community here in America is even though there's more opportunity than there's ever been in this nation, we're suffering and we're, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Not because the lifelines are not there, it's because we refuse, because of indoctrination and how we've been taught, we refuse to actually grab on that line. Instead, we're saying racial inequality is worse than it's ever been. uh, systematic inequality and racism is in our culture. And because of that, we cannot succeed. And if you, whatever you believe will become true to you. And sadly, there is a large portion of of African-Americans that believe this wholeheartedly so much that they're not even activating their own dexterity and, and potential and wisdom and intellect and talent to be able to be successful in this country. So, Jackie, I believe you're on home turf this weekend. We're recording this podcast from the Irish end, not from Donnybrook, Dublin, the RTE studios that you're normally in. You're in the Galway studio this week. Yes, spending a bit of time in the West this week and taking advantage of our Galway studio here in the city. And I have to say, it's really nice to be back home. I believe Galway is a little bit like America, though, at the moment. I hear there's an influx of tourists coming over from the US. Uh, I know it's a big concern over there with coronavirus cases very high here in the US. And a lot of tourists yeah. going to uh, the uh, to Ireland right now. Yeah, and a couple of people getting denied from different pubs and restaurants around the city. I think for once, Galway people are not very happy to hear an American accent around Shop Street or any of the likes. So it's quite strange here at the moment. But I think everybody's trying to spot the American as well, which can be a bit of crack. 
And anybody, be they American, be they Irish, tune in to States of Mind and get in touch with us. Yes. So statesofmind at rte.ie. We want to hear from you. Uh, Any ideas, anything you want us to go through as we get closer to Election Day. And Brian, we're also going to have an Instagram uh, Q&A this week. So we're looking for your questions on Instagram. So look out on our Instagram stories on RTE News and you may be able to find us there. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Jackie. Chat to you next week. Chat to you next week.